from last week, as we looked at Song of Songs, we were very clear that sex is not gross, something to be run away from, or a god to be worshipped, but it was a gift to be enjoyed skillfully and joyfully in marriage for life. That's where we're at. It's a glorious gift to be unashamedly enjoyed in marriage. But this week we flip it and we just see, really, not how beautiful sex is in marriage, but how destructive sex is outside of marriage. Really how destructive sexual sin is. It's damaging. The, the bulk uh, of my uh, life pastoring uh, is dealing with this in some form or shape. Dealing with sexual sin or the consequences of sexual sin or the routine, the habit, the uh, addiction, inability seemingly to get out of sexual sin. Sexual sin from person to person that then leaves this person destroyed, destroyed, wrecked, not knowing if things will ever be the same, but maybe they'll be better. It's quite damaging. That's when you know Paul can talk about uh, in First Corinthians that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and how would you align or uh, uh, connect with or be one body with the temple prostitute? Like there's something damaging. There's something massive about the way we use our bodies. Christian view of sex does not dishonor, but actually honors the body. But to protect you and also to serve you, our kids, and those around us, we have to be honest about the brokenness, uh, not only of the world, but ourselves. Meaning, like, it's broken us. And so, while this is a hard conversation, most, like most hard conversations, it's necessary. Because if we don't talk about it, we do what most people do with most sin. And we shove it under a rug or we sweep it into a closet. Or vice versa, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what we, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about it. Why? Because we're going to expose light on darkness so that the gospel can bring healing and hope. And so 2 Samuel 13 really is the ongoing consequences of David's sexual sin previously. If you remember, Nathan confronted him, told him that this is what's going to happen with your family because of your sin. And this is the fruit of that. And so thinking about the context of David and his sin, covering it up, and then his kids growing up, this is the consequences. 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. Some time passed. David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and David's son, 
Amnon was infatuated with her. Amnon was frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin, but it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, a son of David's brother, Shimea. Jonadab was a very shrewd man, and he asked Amnon, why are you, the king's son, so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon replied, I am in love with Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. Now, this is a big piece, but where we're going to go is we're going to see sexual sin. and talk about the frog, and we're going to talk about sexual assault, and then we're going to talk about grace. But when you just see this starting with Amnon, you see this starting inside, right? You, you get to, to James 4, and you, you James 1, and talking about, oh, this is what's happening. He's attracted to his half-sister. He sees her beauty. He, he starts just, like, focusing and honing in and just mulling over her beauty, her attraction, gets stuck on this thought, focuses on it, and then obsesses and gets infatuated with her. He is driven by lust for Tamar. The person driven by lust is not consumed with desire for a person. So this is not good, godly, loving attraction or care for her. This is lustful, selfish pleasure. And once the person Really, once the pleasure is grasped, then the person is discarded. C.S. Lewis put it this way. How much the lustful man cares about the woman as such may be engaged by his attitude to her five minutes after fruition. One does not keep the carton after one has smoked the cigarettes. Meaning, this is what's happening. This is not genuine love for Tamar. This is selfless pleasure just for himself. So he's not going to love her, he's going to use her. Just undermining your sexual sin is the drive to be a taker instead of a lover. To be a user instead of a giver. And I, I, used it, I, I wrote it that way, to think about this. That, that is undermining your drive for your sexual sin is that you would rather take than love. You'd rather use someone, something, than give. And so, with such a difficult, heavy topic, I just want to lean into what God says and for us to think about what does the Bible speak into each part, whoever I am or wherever I am on, uh, maybe this just in the different categories this issue. But uh, it's probably last year I started reading Proverbs, and I read Proverbs uh, in a way that was a, a bit different. I just started thinking because, you know, the, the, the lines, uh, it opens up with my son, my son, my son, my son, and all I'm thinking is my son, my son, my son. I'm like, I got to tell them all these things. Like, this is 31 chapters, what I've been doing. One of them is nine. That's half of the time he's going to have in my house is gone. It's gone. He needs to know more of Proverbs chapter 1 through 5. 
all of it. Uh, but, but five just, just hit me different, thinking about my, my sons. And I want to read it to you, over you, thinking about sexual sin. And I want you to pay attention. So, verse one, Proverbs five. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Now it's going to get specific. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. That's what you're going to say at the end of your life. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. So, to be very practical in regards to sexual sin, let me just look at all the men and to be very clear, keep your way far from the forbidden woman. Did you, did you hear that path? Like, don't, 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 don't be wandering around the neighborhood. Oh, accidentally going to bump into. Casually strolling by. Going to the door, but not knocking. Oh, go to the door. No, no, stay far away from the forbidden women. The emotional fear at work, the images on the screen, the past relationships, the casual flirting, forbidden. Now, to be clear, just to open this up for all of us, forbidden is any sexual relationship with a person besides your spouse. Okay? That's what it is. Keep far from the forbidden person. Who's forbidden from you in this regard? Everyone. Everyone. And if you want to go back to the very beginning, to Genesis, I'm like, oh, my God's stingy. It's stingy? Like, can we get polyamorous? Can there be other options? Can, can, we, can we go a little bit uh, Latter-day Saints? Can we, can we, no. Okay, you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? It's because any perversion, any brokenness is such a massive gift is going to destroy you and others. So no, he's not stingy. He's actually generous in giving you your spouse. If you go on to the next verse, it says to drink from your own cistern, drink from your own well, meaning the well of your pleasure and joy is your spouse, no one else. 
anything else. Images on a screen is dirty puddle water. Any other well is not yours. You, you've not been welcomed there. You've not invited there. That, that's not you. Like your marriage, that's the well. That's where you're supposed to drink from. Deeply. That's what we saw last week. Anything else is forbidden. So I'm just thinking about Proverbs and all the, the wonderful wisdom that it gives us to keep away from the forbidden person. I'll just give you five things that, that is wise from the scriptures. Five ways to keep away from sexual sin. Number one, memorize scripture. Remember, like actually hide it in your heart. If sexual sin is consuming you, meaning you fed your sexual, your sexual sin so much that now it's bigger than you and eating you is going to consume you and others, let's put it to death. Memorize scripture, uh, Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word, I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Are there a bunch of practical tips and hedges in the fight against impurity or any sexual immorality? Yes. Yes. But do you see, like, should you have covenant eyes or the competitor? I don't know. This, this isn't a commercial. Yes, you should probably. Are there other things that you should do? Yes. But clearly God has said, take my words and, and memorize them and hold them and put them and write them on your heart so that you can honor him with all of your life. Not just your finances, not just your workplace, in all of your life. Memorize scripture two. Talk to someone today. My, my hope is just talk to someone, but for you, talk to someone today. James 5, it says, confess your sins. Who, who knows your sexual temptation? Who knows your sins? Who do you confess to? If you're going to fight, then let's fight. And you're going to fight with people because we need the, to do this together. Your pride will tell you you can handle it all by yourself. Demonic spirits will tell you to hide it. Will tell you you're too gross. Will tell you that people think differently about you. But humility says you need Jesus and others, so tell someone. <laughs> Humbly tell someone. Humbly acknowledge I do need Jesus and others in this. Three, create a plan of action. Romans 13, 40 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I mean, do you, do you have a plan? I, I, I've talked about this at the worship level and the belief level. But what seems to get stunted is that we're moving in the path of repentance, but then there's no sight for the future. What's my plan to actually stay away from this, to keep away from this? What is my plan? 
What's my, my plan to further flame my affections for Jesus and starve my affections for any of this lust? What's my plan for that? Create a plan of action. This is an invitation, Romans 13, 14, to think through all the different ways that you have access to fulfill the lust of the flesh and then to keep going and then to slam the door on all those, to make no provision, to think about all the places that, man, where, where have I made provision in the past? Where have I, I, I put myself in a, in a just spot that is ripe with temptation? Let me think about these things. And then let me slam the door on all those opportunities moving forward. Not make any provision. Don't, don't give any place for it. Don't feed it at all. When? I mean, think about the plan. When are you tempted to lust? When are you most weak and vulnerable? Talk to the person you're talking to and make a battle plan with them. Say, we need help. For pray, I need to keep moving through this because this is a very, this is the intro. Pray. <laughs> Hebrews 4.16 says, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I, I feel like there's some objection in this room, like these are like, you know, basic things. I think basic's the wrong word. I think the word you're looking for is biblical and proven. It is. To memorize, to, to openly confess and walk in the light with others, to create a plan, to pray to the Lord, to beg him to help you in the midst of your temptation, to pray with others, to fight this temptation. And then five, Sing, sing, yes, sing. Like, that's a, that's a strange one. No, it's not. You're wrong. I'm right, because someone else said it, so they're right, okay? I'm not trying to win an argument with you. I'm just joking. But yeah, sing. Why? And who said it was God? Because he gave you 150 songs to sing in his word. And then talks about it as battle. By paraphrase, Zephaniah 3.14, and say, sing for joy, because your warrior God joyfully sings over you. Do, you. do you know what gets dislodged out of your heart? Or really, what, what there's not much space for in your heart when you are joyfully praising God with your heart and your voice. What? Temptation, lust, greed, any of this stuff, right? So that's why we're saying Sing. Worship, fix your eyes on God, uh, tell him, rejoice over him, instead of thinking about how great this uh, temptation might be, how about you sing, how great is my God? Instead of mulling over, ooh, it would be like this, it could happen like this, I might get this way, and just think about, this is what Jesus has done for me, and I'll sing of what he's, not, what he's done for me, instead of think about what I could might possibly get away with. Sing. James 1 says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin was fulfilled, gives birth to death. This is what's happening with Amnon. Enticed and dragged away by his own evil desire, now he moves to this 
this deceptive plan to achieve lust. Verse 5. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend you're sick. So, so you, you saw the, the Bible's language, right? Jonadab, sorry, Jonadab is a very shrewd man. He's crafty. He's wise. But that language also, when you, when you see crafty, you should also think a little sketchy. Okay, he's smart, wise, a little sketchy. This is the plan he gives Amnon. Lie down on your bed and pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare a meal in my presence so I can watch and eat from her hand. So Amnon does it. He lays down, pretends to be sick. When the king, David, just to be very clear, okay, that, that matters in the future, came to see him. Amnon said to him, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my presence so I can eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare a meal for him. And so that's the plan. So it goes from this evil desire, and he's dragged away by it, and it's going to give birth to sin, and sin's going to give birth to death. But as we look at his sin, you're going to look and see her suffering. And I just want you to think about this. You, you can justify your sin in this regard in so many ways, but the one of the ways I hear the most is it doesn't hurt anyone. And that is a lie. Your sexual sin always hurts someone else. It does. And for like, well, I can't make, I can't connect the dots between this specific event on Tuesday in 2013 to another sin. Okay, you win the argument. The point of what I'm trying to say is to keep continuing in sin is to know that it's going to, to say that one event is not going to hurt other people, sure, maybe. But you know what? If you actually don't repent, you're just going to keep walking in this sin. And eventually it's going to consume others and you. It's going to eat up your soul. And it's also going to tear up other people to the point where Tamar is going to say, where could I go with my disgrace? Verse 8. 2 Samuel 13, verse 8. Then Tamar went to his house while Amnon was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his presence, and baked them. She brought the pan and sat down in front of him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, everyone leave me, and everyone left him. Bring the meal to the bedroom. The bedroom, I'm sorry. Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat from your hand. Tamar took the cakes she had made and went to her brother Amnon's bedroom. When she brought them to him, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she cried, don't disgrace me, for such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't commit this outrage. Where could... I ever go with my humiliation. And you, you would be like one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Please speak to the king, for he won't keep you from me. But he refused to listen to hear to her. And because he was stronger than she was, he disgraced her by violating her. So Amnon hated Tamar with such intensity that the hatred he hated her with was greater than the love he had loved her with. Get out of here, he said. No, she cried, send me away. It's much worse than the great wrong you've already done to me. But he 
refused to listen to her. Instead, he called to the servant who waited on him, get this away from me, throw her out and bolt the door behind her. Amnon's servant threw her out and bolted the door behind her. Now Tamar was wearing a long-sleeved robe because this is what the king's virgin daughters wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long-sleeved robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away crying out. So the image goes from a beautiful, innocent princess clothed in a royal robe to being violated. And you have this heartbreaking story that still, I, 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 I still get angry. I, I've, I've heard stories like Tamar's for years now, particularly when, when I, I served at the Paradox. It's been downtown with a high, uh, uh, demographic of college students and young professionals, things that happen in college, things that happen uh, when they were younger. And uh, I'll be honest, I still get real angry, <laughs> even with this story. Like I wanna fight Amnon, I know that is not physically possible. But I want to fight. Like I remember very long, like hearing a, a college student tell me something. Uh, I'm trying to think, and just think my, my internal. I was trying to be calm and listen, but just internally, I'm thinking like, give me the name, give me the address. I, I, I I'm not big, but I'm scrappy. We'll see what happens. Like I, like I want, like I want to fight, right? Because this is unjust. Like there's violation here. This justice needs uh, to be executed. And, and so what I find is, is that there is righteous anger here. Now for me, uh, it, it gets expressed unrighteously, right? Like I, I want to fight. Uh, I, I want to protect this person. Protect this person's honor. I want to. I want to make sure this person, this person doesn't do this. Like I just so much, right? Like so much. Like I want to. I, but you should feel in you with me the same righteous anger that your God does. When His people are harassed, attacked, beaten, assaulted. Amnon destroys this woman. This woman made in the image of God with thoughts and fears and dreams, with inherent dignity and value, and he goes from lusting after her beauty to hating her presence. Can you see how clearly this is not about love for her? This is nothing in any semblance connected to the cosmic romance of Christ laying down his life and loving and uh, uh, sweeping in and winning the day and winning his wife's heart. This is the complete opposite. This is using a woman for his own glory. He throws her out. Phyllis Tribble writes, 
that Amnon reduces Tamar to the state of a disposable object. In the original language, that's why the CSB writes it that way, to get this away from me, because that's how he communicates. He barely speaks of her as a woman, as a person. He's talking to her as a thing that he wants to throw out. To him, Tamar is trash. Now, this is wild because this is similar language, not, not in the trash aspect, but similar language to his dad. When dad, David, saw Bathsheba, he said, uh, literally, he inquired about the woman. And, and his servants come alongside him like, well, she is Bathsheba, meaning she has a name and she's a daughter of this. She has a father. And she, she's uh, married to this guy. He has a name. I mean, she's married. And David's like, nah, I don't care. And push, pushes all of her <laughs> humanity aside and just treats her like an object. Says, yes, bring the woman here. And this is the same thing. The same sin is repeated in the son. The same sin of the father. That treating a person like an object of pleasure rather than a person to be enjoyed and loved and cared for and known. So I'll tell you just very clearly. If, if, if you have a very similar story to Tamar, or not very, it's a little similar to Tamar. What, what, what helps me in my anger and so that it stays righteous and not unrighteous and it doesn't turn into vengeance like uh, uh, Amnon's brother, Absalom. Like I want to be, I want to fight like Absalom. I want to take vengeance into my own hands. I want to track this guy down, even if it takes two years, like it did for him. Even if it means patiently waiting to serving that revenge dish cold. If that's what it means, I want to do it. But with what helps my heart in that is this, justice will be served. Justice will be meted out. Vengeance is not mine. There is a way that you can have righteous anger over horrific evil that's been done against you. And be righteously angry with that, but not take vengeance in your own hands. But to trust this, that God will pour out his wrath on that abuser, the person that's assaulted you. God will pour out his wrath on that person for what they've done to you. Or God will pour out, has poured out his wrath on the son for that person. I know it's hard to hear, but maybe, just maybe, the Lord would save that person and rescue them and make them new. And give them a new heart. I know it's hard to hear. But that's also justice. Why? Because the same Jesus who died in your place for yours. Died for theirs. That there's grace and mercy for the worst in the room here. But there will be justice. And so I'll tell you, if that's you, 
if you have been thinking you've been getting away with it, you are not. If you think you can keep hiding your behaviors, keep managing the look, the facade, justice is coming after you. Meaning God is going to come after you. We don't live in a random, accidental chaos. We live in a fathered world who is perfect love and justice, and justice will be poured out on you. But, but like I said, there's even hope for you. That all of us are guilty under the penalty deserving to be crushed. But we receive mercy from Jesus, so you can't cry out to Jesus. You can run to Jesus. In all your sin, in your dehumanizing others, the God-man became a human so that he would take on even your sin and to wash you clean, to forgive you not only of the heinous things you've done, but also wash you clean of them and to make you new. But I want to say, if you are in this pattern of abusive actions, behaviors, it's time to repent. And I don't mean mouthing words. I mean acknowledging your sin, owning your sin, and hating it. Hating your sin. To not just saying, oh, I don't like that. I'm bummed that I got caught. I don't want to do that again. To know, I despise this. Do you see what happens when you use a person? You go from loving them to then treating them as trash after you've gotten the pleasure you want from them. How about, rather than that, we would not hate the person, but hate our sin. How about that? How about we make that quick transition from a... Uh, 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 Man, I love this. No, I don't actually love this sin. This is terrible. It's eating them up. It's tearing me up. It, it, it is not honoring God. This is not giving life to anyone. This is not helpful. I, I'm using, I'm taking, I am sucking people's soul from them. Why will I not repent and turn and hate that sin? Now let's hate it. Despise it. When no semblance of it. Don't, don't want it that, that's why I don't want any provision for it because I don't even want it near me. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be tempted with it. I don't even see the door of that house in Proverbs 5. Verse 20 says, her brother Absalom comes to Tamar. And he said, has your brother Amnon been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother, don't take this thing to heart. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in the house of her brother Absalom. When King David heard about all these things, he was furious. Absalom didn't say anything to Amnon, either good or bad, because he hated Amnon since he disgraced his sister Tamar. Two years later, 
what happens is it seems like David is clueless. David seems clueless. And even when he finds out about what has happened, he does nothing. The man who stood against Goliath, trusting that the Lord God was with him when no one else would, is now cowering in fear, silent, not doing anything. He does nothing to avenge his little girl. His passivity here sets the scene for the next family conflict that's going to happen. That Absalom's going to find out, and he's going to respond. Kind of like how David should respond. Come live with me. I'll take care of you, right? He comes along. He doesn't say things that are helpful, but at least he says, hey, come on in. But David says nothing. But then Absalom goes and takes it in his own hands and is going to take vengeance. But what we feel here is like the reality of good men doing nothing. This, this is what it feels like. That silence you feel from David, that's what it is. Evil flourishing. Why? Because good men are silent. And Tamar lived as a desolate woman. If you recall that phrase, where can I go with my disgrace? to her. She's, she tells him, Amnon, before, in the middle, and then now, let's see what happens. I don't know. To Absalom's house and live a desolate, bitter life for the rest of her life. That, that, that's where she's going to go. And her dad, the king, is not going to say anything. The good news, the good news is that there's a better king. And if there's disgrace in your life, if you've been humiliated, shamed, violated, treated as trash, as worthless, without any value, as just an object, there's a king. And King Jesus loves you. And he's where you can go to get rid of your disgrace. He is the one who has not come obsessed with you, infatuated with you, to use you. He's the one that has seen you before the world's creation and set his love on you to bless you. To marry you, to welcome you into his family and to adore you and cherish you for the rest of your life. That Jesus is the grace you need to, to, to find forgiveness for your sins. Yes, but let's be very clear. This is not Tamar's sin. She has been sinned against. And Jesus is big enough because not only does he fulfill the goat of propitiation that gets killed for our sin, to pay the penalty for the sin. But Jesus is also the fulfillment of the second goat who all the sins are placed on and is carried out of the camp to show that our sins have been pulled away from us, taken from us. We've been washed clean of them. What we've done and what's been done against us. Jesus is the grace to undefile you from your defilement. He's the one that touches lepers and doesn't get leprosy, but makes lepers whole. 
He's the one that can come along and touch you, heal you, take the, 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 the wounds that you have and tenderly come alongside and love and cherish you where you've been ripped to shreds. That's where you can take your disgrace. That's where you can take your humiliation. The one who actually cosmically deals with it. That deals with the pain, but also loves and comes alongside you in the lingering consequences and effects. that stays with you and keeps helping and encouraging and loving and serving and reminding you of his love. There's a better king, a perfect king, a king who's never been silent when he should have talked. A king who, who's never let his children down. A king who has not just a wonderful resume with like killing Goliath on it, but actually a perfect resume. A perfect husband to us. He knows how to help, how to long, come alongside by his grace, you know what he does as well? He helps us to come alongside those that are hurt and hurting. What, what pains me about this text, uh, as I've talked with people for, for years, is, uh, is David's response, but also Absalom's words, and then the silence for the rest of Tamar's life, that we know nothing else about Tamar's life. But getting this story from our perspective really helps us to see, oh, this is what it means. This is how destructive sexual sin is. But grace abounds all the more. I want to tell you this. I just want to finish with this. That to come alongside if, if, this, if this is a part of your story and I encourage you this it, it is not the defining part of your story I know it feels like it is I know a few seconds or a few minutes can, can feel like it's the entire scope of your life, but it is not the defining moment, event, and that person is not the defining, defining person of your life. And what I mean 
what I said earlier is, is really what I meant. King Jesus really helps and graces and transforms at the deepest level. Not, not, a, not a little band-aid to get you through today, but deep transformation at your heart level that will be difficult and hard to process and work through and things that you're going to deal with and, and people are having to ask for help. But I'll tell you this, he's got you. He has you. He's not going to let go of you. And all his promises are, are yes and amen. And every covenant, every vow that he's made to you is yes. Everything that he's promised you, the whole world he's promised you. And he, that, wasn't, that wasn't just, you know, the illusions of a poor man trying to win a woman's heart. He actually offers you the whole world and he can offer it to you because it's his. And he says, here, this is how much he loves you. He's with you. He's for you. He won't let you go. And you know what? We're not perfect. We're going to fail you. But we're here for this. Church, in all of our brokenness, we were built for items like this. We were made, crafted, formed, shaped to be a people to, to enter into the darkest spots, the darkest brokenness, and bring the light of Jesus and see him do what he said he's going to do. Isaiah, I'm going to heal those that are sick, broken. I am going to set free those that are captive. Let's see him do it. And so if that's you, I'll just tell you, we want to help you. And if you're like, I don't want to talk to anyone. We get it. <laughs> don't we get it? But we want to help you. We want to pray for you this morning. We want to talk with you. We want to come alongside you. And then if, if, you're, if you're in the kind of first part of that section in the sexual sin, and that, that's just a very open, broad category. So I'm not, I'm not associating you with Amnon. I'm just saying if there's sexual sin in your life, can you at least, can you acknowledge with me how destructive it is as we feel the weight of just talking about this, talking about this story? But knowing that we, we, we one in four women and one in six men in this country have been assaulted in their life. And so in just thinking about this room, it's heavy, Right? And so if that is your sin, I, I, I hope that helps. That you'd say, I don't want to be a part of that at all. I don't want to perpetuate that at all. I, I, I don't want destruction to come from me. And, and I don't want my sins to become my children's sins. I don't want to sow this so much into my life that it gets reaped into theirs. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this. I pray 
that you would bring grace and conviction to those that need to put sin to death. And Lord, I pray for grace and comfort for those that have been sinned against and hurt. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us grace and mercy in this time of need. And Lord, I, I pray for those in this, I think just in this whole conversation, there's many of us that want to hide for different reasons, Lord. And I pray that you would boldly empower us to not hide any longer. Whatever it may look like to step forward, to ask for help, to confess sin, to ask for prayer. Maybe to tell their story for their first time. Lord, I, I pray that you would do that. You would Oh, that you would bring those stories, those people to the surface because you have, you have built your church. It's, it's messy, but you've built your church so beautiful and glorious. And so will she serve the weak, the broken, the hurt, the abused, the used, the misused? Will this, will this family... serve and minister and love and help to not run away from the darkness or the, the difficult problems but to run towards them with the grace of Jesus and in his name we pray